0: You're listening to the New Song Students Podcast. I'm Jackson, and I'm the student pastor at New Song Church, located in Oklahoma City. We hope this message builds your faith and helps you to know God better in a greater way today. Enjoy the message. Who enjoyed our testimony last week, right? If you're just joining us, we kicked off a series called The Gospel According To, and this is a testimony series. And we're letting people, some people in our church, come up and share the goodness of God, how they have received Jesus, and how that can be something that builds our faith today. We're called to tell our testimonies, right? Amen. called to constantly share them and to, to, to declare them because it gives everybody a new side of Jesus. And Casey did such a good job last week, Pastor Casey. Incredible testimony on God um, saving, saving somebody a lot like a lot of us in this room who grew up in church, and I know a lot of, that, a lot of us, that's our testimony. Um, but I'm so excited for tonight. We got a really special guest. Her name is Farah. Everybody say, hi, Farah. Hi, Farrah. If you've never met Farrah, uh, you know her husband. Where's Colton at? I know you got some kids. Look at that dad right there. Colton, holding a baby. Let's go. Um, Colton and farah they moved here like a, two years ago? Yeah, two and a half years ago, uh, I met them. Haley and I met them um, about a year and a half ago. They, uh, Colton is a coach at Christ Fit Gym. If you guys haven't heard of ChristFit Gym, you need to check it out. Um, it'll kick you in the butt, trust me. <laughs> um, but uh, seriously, you should check it out. It's awesome. But uh, about a year ago, over the summer, I was actually there. I was doing a workout with them, and before every workout... At Christfit, they do a little devo time. So they pray, they go through a scripture, and um, and then we work out. It's really cool. And on this particular night, Colton was out, so his awesome wife Pharaoh was subbing in for him. And so she just was like, I'm gonna share my testimony. She shared her testimony before we worked out, and I'm telling you, since I heard it, and I just got a little like glimpse, so I'm really excited about tonight. But since I heard it a year and a half ago, I've been just like itching to get her on this platform for you, for you guys. And so I'm telling you guys, this is going to be such a treat. And so would you guys help give me a huge New Song students welcome to Farah.
1: Thank you, Jackson. Is on? Is it on? Hello. Oh. It's on. Hi, everyone. Okay, I can't help but say this. I saw this, I was like, so cool. I feel professional, but I didn't bring any notes, though. So. This is all going to be literally Holy Spirit. Um, Before I start, I want to give honor where honor is due. And I know you guys already know this, but I am here to emphasize, you guys truly have the best youth pastor our city has ever known. Shout out to Jackson. Yes, yes, yes. And let me say this, I am literally not saying this just to be nice to Jackson. I have been praying like earnestly on my hands, and my knees, Lord, show me new song students through your eyes. And I just wanna share with you what the Lord has been painting as I'm praying and preparing for tonight. I begin to see how similar the flesh and the spirit is when I was praying for you. And God took me to Matthew 4.4. 4. In God's word, it says that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You know what that tells me? That tells me by design, God created us not just to eat and drink to survive. That there's a part of us, our spirit needs nutrients. And you know what the nutrients is? It's the scripture, the word of God, God's word, the Bible. And if I know one thing about Jackson, is that he brings the word and he is not afraid to give it to you. Now, I know also he seeks the Holy Spirit on how to deliver the word because God's word is so rich and so dense that we need people like Jackson to break it down for us to understand it. And in return, I get to stand here in front of you, and I am so honored. Like, I literally see the fruit of just the incredible leadership and the vision behind New Song students. And I'm just seeing so many of you on fire for the Lord. You love God so much. You're zealous for Him. You're not afraid to pray. You're bouncing around. You're seeing somebody on their knees. You go and you lay your hands and pray. You love on people in our city and beyond. I'm just... I'm so proud. I am so proud and so honored. So I just want you to know what the Lord is doing through New Song students. He is changing the projector of our city. Like you guys coming here on Wednesday, dedicated and devoted to the Lord saying, I don't care what happens. I will be there. I am worshiping Jesus because he deserves all the glory and honor. It is the most incredible thing. It is your eternal investment. It is more important than your education. It is more important than sports. It is more important than what you will do when you grow up. This is eternal investment. And you are walking in your calling. Like I am seeing it. And I am so honored to be here. Okay. Okay. Before I go any farther, can I please go ahead and pray? Can we do that? Yes. Awesome. Holy Spirit, Lord, we welcome you here. God, I'm just so grateful that I get to stand on this platform. As a witness, a testimony is somebody testifying. And tonight, and every night, and every day of my life, I will walk boldly testifying that you are who you say you are. That you are the Savior, you are the Healer, you're the Renewer, you're the Protector, you're the Friend, you're Abba Father. You are every single thing that we need, and more. And there's always more and more. To discover and know and to adore of you. God, I just pray tonight that you would make our hearts so tender. Um, Lord, that you would take away any agenda, anything that I have premeditated, anything that I have pre-prepped. And Lord, just use my tongue like a pin in the hands of a ready writer. And speak on the hearts and minds of your children. God, please open up our eyes to see you for who you are. We want to hear you so clearly, God. We want our hearts to be transformed by you for your glory. Help us, Lord, just Take away any distractions. I don't know. Everybody comes in the room with things on their minds. You know, school. I got kids. I know so many, so many leaders here, they have jobs. But, Lord, I just pray that we're present. It is so hard these days to be present. So many things on our plates. But, Lord, I just pray that we would unplug and we would tune in. That our ears are inclined to you, Jesus. We love you, God, so much. And I pray this in your mighty name. Amen. Okay, so I love a good visual, because when somebody's telling me about something, and like I cannot paint a picture, I kind of struggle a little to stay connected. So today, I brought some pictures with me. Um, As I go on and tell you about my life, you're going to get to see just a glimpse of where I'm from and things like that. So um, my name is Farah. And I was born and raised in Amman, Jordan. Jordan is the country east of Israel. Um, The Jordan River, where Jesus was baptized, runs through Jordan, east banks of Palestine and Israel. So literally, like Israel is an hour and a half drive from my hometown. That's how close. Um, I loved growing up as a Jordanian girl. There are so many fun things about my upbringing. Can we pull up some pictures? Oh, here it is. Okay. Whoa, that is very blurry. Okay. Well, so Jordan is well lived in the capital. So this is more precise. And the capital is a big city. It is alive. Um, The lights never go out. It's the life of the party. Like if you're in the capital, you're invited to somebody's house. You're you're eating at somebody's house. You're welcome. Um, and Jordan is known for being the country of hospitality. So literally think like every single day, party life. Um, and then next pick. Okay, schools in Jordan, very different. And I'm just showing you all these pictures. I know that they're kind of blurry, but a life in Jordan is so, so different than America. And I felt like if I didn't have pictures, it would kind of like be hard to see how different it is. But schools in Jordan, uh, they're separate in gender. So girls go to girls' school, boys go to boys' school. And this image right here in the middle, um, I know it looks like a, a, a dated resort, but literally schools look like that. So there's not like Pre-K, elementary, middle, high school. It's just this massive, like, non-aesthetic-looking resort. Like, just massive, non-ending building. And you go to that one school from the moment you start school until you graduate. So, like, a lot different, I would say, than uh, coming here. And then last picture, at least for now. Okay, food. I totally forgot... This. So some of our traditional food consists of uh, some sort of meat. We eat a lot of fish, lamb, goat meat, and then rice and a vegetable. But this is what I forgot. So you know how here in America, your ch- like chips is flavored based off of like popular food, like taco flavor or barbecue flavor or pizza flavor? Well, chips in Jordan, is flavored after mensef, which you wouldn't know what that is, but it's like flavored after our traditional meals, which I was like, how did I forget that? But um, yeah, I loved growing up in Jordan and uh, I feel so fortunate. So, half of my siblings, me and my sister, we were born and raised in Jordan, and also my sister Nora, but when we moved here, she was three, so she didn't get to experience. Uh, being raised in Jordan and neither did my brother who he was born here. And I just feel like really uh, being in Jordan, growing up there has shaped me and installed so many things and made me the person I am today. Um, But there were some dysfunctional things about my life. Like it wasn't all happy and good. And I want to touch on some of those things tonight because my hope in prayer My testimony is very heavy, and it will sound a lot different than some of the stories that you have heard, and maybe you haven't met somebody like me before, but... As I'm sharing, I just pray, and this has been my prayer all week, that you see my testimony as a canvas that's being painted by the greatest painter in the world. Um, some pieces did not make sense at the beginning. You know, like when a painter is working on something and you're like, this is just all brown and green. It makes no sense. But at the end, you're, you know, when he's done, you're like, oh, my gosh, this is incredible. That's kind of how my testimony is. And honestly, I am the least deserving person for Jesus to save like I did absolutely nothing good except for I called out on him and I called and he answered and he changed my life and that's literally all it takes for anybody like it does not matter what part of the world you're in if you're from America or from Africa or from the Middle East you got to get desperate and call on the name of Jesus and he will answer I promise if you seek if you seek him you will find him Um, So some of the dysfunctions that I have faced growing up in Jordan. So the Middle Eastern culture is quite different in so many ways. But um, one precise difference is that parents choose your spouse. This is a very common thing for people to be arranged into marriages. So my parents, they were arranged in their marriage. They didn't get to date or know each other. It was just a mutual agreement between their parents that their kids would wed. So there was a lot of pressure on my parents because their firstborn child would not only be a firstborn, but would be a firstborn into a new generation. So a first grandchild as well. Everybody's praying, hoping, expecting a boy. Please let it be a boy. Please let it be a boy. The Middle East is all about boys and manhood. Well, guess what? <laughs> I was born. <laughs> and truly, my entire life, I knew, before I understood the agenda of it is very important that a firstborn for them to be a man, I felt this massive discon- disconnection. disconnect disconnect from my family. I knew that there was some sort of rejection. They did not treat me like they treated my sister. And I grew to to understand why. A firstborn boy is very important because in the Middle East, if the boy does well, the rest of the family does well because boys can grow up into being men and getting jobs. and And when you get jobs, you make money. And if you make money, you can take care of your parents. But girls, not so much. In the Middle East, it's still very traditional. <coughs> Sorry, I'm recovering from a sickness. Um, but in the Middle East, women belong in the home, very traditional. You have babies, you raise them, goodbye. Like you're not able to really change the trajectory of your family. So everybody wants boys. Well, the dysfunction in my family continued to grow. And when I say family, I mean like my parents and I and my sister. Eventually, my dad ended up moving to the United States. This was about the time when I was turning three. And when my dad left, I was living with my mom, my sister, and my mom's parents, who are extremely poor. To this day, they still do not own a car. So literally, we slept on concrete floors. Like Growing up, I did not have a room. You know, it's just like the bare minimum of everything. Everything is hand-me-downs. And it was all okay for a while. But then I, as I grew older, I started to realize more and more things are piling up on that Cultural pressure. And just as a person of color, being from the Middle East now as a grown up, I am starting to look back at my childhood and thinking, man, like God really showed up for me in so many ways as a little girl. And protected me and guided me. It wasn't that, oh, I moved to America and God started to work in my life. No, it was like I'm back home and I wasn't aware of it. He was shielding me and protecting me from so many things. And now that I'm on the other side, I can't help but say, thank you, Jesus. This was all you. And another thing that I faced a lot of dysfunction from is the religion my family followed. So my family is devout Muslims. And Islam is a very... Fear-based religion. If you don't know anything about Islam, let me give you a little snippet. <laughs> Actually, it is a lot, but I'll try to like bring it down. Um, so my family from the beginning, as a little girl, made sure I know more important than anything, more important than I even learn how to write and read my name is that I know it is my duty to be a good Muslim. Well, the problem with that, there's no such thing. Because in Islam, um, your God's emotional stability is dependent on your work. And we all know we're people. Like, it is impossible to measure up to all the rules and and regulations and all the things a religion upholds. In Islam, let's say you are a good Muslim, according to the books and laws. And you are praying. So in Islam, you pray five times a day. And those prayers are scheduled. So they have, you have to pray them before a certain time. So there's a prayer at sunrise. And then the next one, it has to be before afternoon. It's like all around like the day. And you can't just pile them all at the end of the day and be like, okay, I'm just going to pray all the prayers like when I get off work. No. Like it does not work like that. So let's say you're an awesome Muslim you're doing all that you can to follow the rules, and one day you are just having a crappy day. You are tired. Um, you, you know, you were hit with bad news. Something happened, and you decide, okay, I'm just I missed all the prayers. I'm just gonna do better tomorrow. Well, you know what happens in Islam if you intentionally miss prayers and intentionally let yourself fall asleep before you make up those prayers. You are taught that you will be making those prayers, you will make them up on the ground of hell. So, big punishment to the littlest thing, like extreme, like truly. So... I grew up with all that pressure, like upholding. I cannot be a boy, I cannot be a good religious person. I'm trying my best, but I just feel like I was never good enough. And, you know, my identity was just distorted, as anybody <laughs> faced with those things would be. Um, so growing up, you know, I tried to keep it together. And then my parents decided in 2010 that we would move to the United States. Just when I thought my ship was starting to sail, it was actually starting to sink because we did an entire like, life change, like every single thing about my life back home it was so different about the new life that I would be beginning. So this, this is going to make me sound like I'm older than the pyramids, I'm aware. But I promise you, like Instagram and TikTok and stuff, they have not been around for that long. I think Instagram launched either when I was like 14 or 15, like not long ago, but nobody was really using Instagram at the time. So it's not like I could research this information and have like access to reels and posts and things like that. So I did what any person back in 2010 would do when they're told they're moving somewhere I went on the trusty Google. And literally, I typed America. (laughs) And when you type America on Google, you get this image, these images, these types of images. New York, beautiful buildings, gorgeous beaches, uh, Utah's mountains. These are stock photos. I feel like these are Photoshopped. Like, I'm like, this is what I saw. So I was excited. I was thinking, oh, wow, this is going to be an upgrade. I'm so excited. So then... We fly into America, this was in 2012, you know, packed up everything, the plan, never to return back to Jordan. Like, my parents decided we're moving to America and that's it. So it's not like we're on a visa. We are permanent residents of the United States. So we fly into America, we land, get off the plane in Dallas, Texas. Okay, okay, you guys, it gets worse. It really does. So we are in Dallas, and I just turn up my nose like, ew, what? You know like when you're flying somewhere, and you just have to like, there's like this middle stop, and you're just like, I just can't wait to get my destination, this is terrible. I thought Dallas was the bad. Like, I'm like, oh, thank God we won't be living here. So my dad starts driving. Now, I have literally no idea where I am. Like, this is, it felt like I... Transferred into an entire new dimension because one thing that I keep thinking about, like even the people, like everything I looked, uh, I looked at every single day was so different. So. Um, Jordan is uh, predominantly Muslim, so everybody would cover their hair. And it was a lot, like, there's a lot more buildings, the atmosphere. Everything was really different. So landing in Dallas, it was February. Musty, dusty, just humid, gray. Like, I was like, "Uh, this is not what I saw on Google. But thank God I won't be here forever. So then my dad starts driving towards Louisiana, (laughs) Louisiana, you guys, Louisiana. Every other person I knew from the Middle East moving to the states, Michigan, uh, New York, California, why louisiana see my dad he so since he moved here way before we did he tried the city life like he did new york he did austin he did all this so by the time we were moving here he was in his country boy era don't love that do not still don't so we are moving here you know getting to dallas my dad is driving please Por favor, pull up the picture. This is where I lived. I literally got this picture from Zillow today. This was the house in the woods. Like, do you see this house in the middle? You can't even see it. You literally can't see it. Just woods, just grass and woods. I have never seen more green in my life. My eyes were just (laughs) astonished. So here we are in the middle of nowhere, literally living in the woods, The nearest neighbor is a mile away, like literally nothing. And I don't know anyone. I don't know English. Um, There's 0.0% Muslim community in this place. And guess what? I'm starting high school in two days. (laughs) You know when people say, I just feel like all the odds are against me. Yeah, I know. I know very much because I have lived that because there was not a single thing was that was with me. Like, my dad didn't even try to help at all. Like, he just chunked us in the ocean and said, goodbye, see you never. He never helped with anything. He did not prep us. Like, there was nothing that could have even brought me to think this is what my reality was going to be. So we start high school, I start high school, um, because my sister is younger than me. And I was so shocked at two particular things. One, I was the very first Middle Eastern person to ever attend North DeSoto High School, never before. Two, I had no idea how racist people are. Like, okay. So when you live in a country that's very uniformed, everybody's the same. Like in America, it's a melted pot. So like there's people from everywhere. You get this. I was telling Colton the other day, I was like, you know, I just feel like I could never live somewhere else because I'm so spoiled by the variety of things. Like we got Asian food here and great pizza and great Mexican food. But if you're in a different country and you're craving sushi, in like, because other countries are not, like, a melted pot like America, you'd have to drive an hour to get sushi, and it would probably be terrible. So, So I was just thinking about, like, the diversity of America now and how social media has, like, made it so incredible that people are so accepting and kind and, like, really result to, like, embracing other cultures. Well, when I was starting high school, here's some of the things that people literally said To my face for no apparent reason, just hateful. Um, Your mom is a towel head because she wore a hijab. Thank you so much for 9-11, which 9-11, I was literally three, like even if no, um, just hurtful, hateful, and it continued on for... Like every time I would try to even, because I didn't speak any English and I was so nervous that anybody would even want to talk to me. So the moment they would start talking to me, I would get excited and then boom, there they go, saying another hateful thing. So for the very next year, so from the time I was a freshman to the time I was a sophomore, I began to develop severe depression and anxiety. This was becoming so serious that my it was it was literally affecting my physical body i was becoming so ill that at my body like so acidic every single thing i ate i would throw up and i would constantly throw up like this acidic substance that would just burn like like just burn inside of me every time i ate every time i sat down it was so so painful but it was my I was tormented in every single way and it was so difficult because I feel like I couldn't look forward. Like, I, I couldn't be like, well, at least in six months, we will be back home and this will be over. I truly felt like I just had to accept my new miserable reality and just deal with it. And at some point, I really contemplated suicide, but the only thing that kept me from suicide is knowing I would go to hell. Like, Islam would not let me get anywhere. Like, it was just this cycle. I felt like a hamster stuck on a wheel, and it's going and going and going, and I'm not catching a break. Well, little did I know, because help was on the way, but I couldn't see it yet. So when I was 16, my brother Adam was born on my birthday. And it was such a blessing because it felt like he was the only happy thing at the time. Um, Unfortunately, I lived with a dad who is violent and abusive, and he really stole my voice from me. You know, like when you have an abuser in your life, more than anything, it hurts the worst that you can't speak up. You shrivel, and you just wait on yourself to completely fade away from life. And so, when my parents said that they would be, we would be having another sibling, I was selfishly excited because I felt like that was going to be the only thing I would look forward to. And I love my brother so much. But once my mom had my brother, my dad became extremely, like, tripled in his violence. So. Not only that he would be mentally and verbally abusive, but my mom uh, had four C-sections. Um, and and I, you, some of you guys might be so young to understand, but a cesarean, it's a, it, uh, birth is very dangerous. They cut seven layers of your abdomens to get the baby out. So you're supposed to rest a lot and just wait on that incision to heal properly. Well, my dad put no value on my mother's life whatsoever to him she was just a peasant like somebody that he used constantly so in the middle of the night i remember he would be she would be crying and he would be screaming at her demanding that she would get up and cook some of the meals that i showed you guys these are stews that would take hours and hours like to make like it wasn't just a turkey sandwich and even if it was you're grown you can make your own food but that's not how it is like he really tormented my mother and I just remember that's when I had my breaking point and I just let out my first cry and I said why are you doing this to me I have done everything according to your law why is my life turning out this way And, you know, I I always, because I am in my nature just very protective. And I felt like growing up without a dad, I kind of had to take on that second parent role and just help my mom raise me and my sister. And I feared for my mother's life. There's no worse feeling than being a child, knowing you cannot do anything if the abuser in your household did something to your parent, your mom. I couldn't do anything. I didn't speak English. I couldn't talk to the police. I couldn't talk to anybody. I was completely trapped in my own skin. So that that exact week, you guys remember I said help is on the way? That exact week after I let that big cry out, My dad went bankrupt. Not only that, he was forced to move nine hours away to Midland, Texas, where now for the first time, me and my mom and my sisters and my brother are actually able to breathe. Just like him being away gave us the chance of being like, okay, we don't have to listen to a screaming monster all day long. That week also, another very life-changing thing happened to me. I met who, if I had to just describe her one way, think if you got a blender and you put confetti and a firecracker and just like an enormous bundle, huge amount of over-the-top joy kind of a person, blended it up together, and you would have my best friend, Jenity. When I met her, I still did not speak any English. And so I was too stunned to speak, even if I spoke English. Because she was, you know, the thing about when you are the light of the world, like when Jesus called you to be the light on a hill, sometimes you forget that darkness recognizes you. You know what I'm saying? So Ginny was just doing her thing, like, just being so jolly and so sweet and such a friend to everyone, hugging everybody in the hallways. And, she, like, I tell her this all the time. Like, you, Ginny, you literally changed my life. She's like, I don't know why. I was just doing me. Because sometimes we lose sight of that. Like, we forget when we are the light, the darkness recognizes that. And I was living in severe darkness that once I spotted Ginny I knew something was so different about her. I couldn't tell you what it was. Like at the time, I didn't know it was the Holy Spirit residing on the inside. But I was like, whatever this person has, I want that. Okay? So, you guys, this is what I do to this day if I want to become your friend. And I did that to Genity. I offer food. (laughs) That's me. If I love you. I will cook for you. If you come to my house, there will always be some food. So I am in computer class. Jenny T walks in. And so, okay, another part that was really horrible. Everybody would make fun of my lunch, which was so sad. So then my mom would just pack me one honey bun, one bag of Cheetos, and a Coke. That was my lunch. So I went from eating wholesome meals and bringing wholesome meals to school to eating practically garbage. So Jenny T. walks in the class, and I'm like, I have one thing to offer. And I would just pray that she would accept it. Literally, she's walking towards me, and there's, like, a chair empty. So I'm like, this is my chance. Like, she could really be my friend. And I just take out my lunch, and I hand it to her like this. <laughs> so... She looked at me and she said, okay. And she sat down and ate my lunch. So, yes, I starved that day, but it was okay because I made a friend. Like, I was willing. You know, you got to make some sacrifices sometimes. So, Junity ate my lunch, and she was asking me, so tell me about you. So, who are you? I see that you're new. And I'm, I, like, I can't speak English, so, I, again, I'm pulling up Google. <laughs> I'm just trying to show her where I'm from. Like, just trying to, and even though there was this massive like language barrier and i just knew it was a task for her <coughs> it was a task for her to be my friend because i wasn't just like the easy cool popular kid she never seemed to bother and it really struck me like everybody else was so busy going about their life doing sports you know cheerleading whatever and she would invest, like when she talked to me, she would look me in the eyes, was so interested like nobody else is in the world. And you know, sometimes when we do things like that, we undervalue when somebody is lonely, when somebody is so hurt, when somebody is being abused, the littlest thing will be so life-changing to them. And so me and Junity grew deeper in our friendship, and then we would ask each other questions. Oh, so what do you believe about this? What do you believe about this? And Junity never forced her beliefs on me at all. It was just an, always a continuous discussion, and I grew to be so interested in her faith because it just felt like it was making a lot more sense than mine. Like, a lot of the questions that I had, and I would ask my mom, she'd be like, just trust. I'm like, there's, like, a lot of... So, okay, I have to give you this example, because this is so crazy. It's still so crazy to me that so many Muslims believe this. So, Muslims believe that Jesus Christ came as a prophet, but they do believe in all the miracles that he performed. So, you know, he opened blind eyes. He raised Lazarus. They believe all of this, but they believe that it was just God's power deposited in him. He was not the son of God. Um, but this is where it's tricky in Islam. So Muslims believe that when it was time for Jesus to be arrested and crucified, that God snatched the real Jesus up to heaven and sent a Roman soldier that looks just like him to die on the cross. So many questions. So many. So many. I'm like, first of all, no. This would make God flawed and a cheater. And am I not supposed to believe that God is perfect? So I would ask all these questions and I would get in massive trouble. So I stopped asking until I met Genentee. Now I'm asking her all the questions and she's answering them. And I'm like, okay, I see. Like, like sometimes when people are blind, when they don't have God in them, and when they don't have the truth of the scripture, they are literally blind. And when they see, they see. It's just like a blind person receiving vision. And so, you know, I was learning all the things from my conversation with Genity. And I went on. And I would do my own research. You know, I'm just, I, I'm not much of a skeptic. But I was scared. Because... Converting from Islam to Christianity or potentially considering that, I mean, everything, the answer is hell. Uh, You forgot to drink water, hell. You forgot to pray, hell. So it's just scary. Like, everything is just scary. So I had to make sure that if I am making this life-altering decision, that it wasn't just going to be, Oh, this is so cute because my friend does that. Like I wanted to make sure this is really the real thing. Now remember, when I would hang out with Genity and she would tell me about Jesus, and Jesus to her was a friend. And so it simplified the gospel so much and the message of God. And I just remember thinking, like, this was the day I began to think, I have all the head knowledge. Like, I accumulated all the knowledge I need to know. Now I just, I'm sitting on it. Like, I'm contemplating because I'm scared. But in my head, I always thought, what if everything I grew up with was the synthetic version of the real thing. On repeat, I would just think that all the time. And that's the Holy Spirit tenderizing my heart towards Him. Just like, sprinkle. There you go. And I got tired of just knowing, like, okay, there's something more to this life than don't pray at the right time, go to hell, all the stuff. Like, there's more to that. I just know. I knew in the deepest part of my heart, because God was calling me, and he was opening my eyes to him, there was more. So December 24th of 2014... I was in my bedroom, sitting on the edge of the bed. At the time, I had no idea this was prayer. Because remember, in Islam, prayer is like you're kneeling to your knees, getting back up, reciting all the stuff. So just speaking out loud was not prayer to me. But I just thought, I'm going to try it. I'm not going to lose anything. And I sat on the edge of my bed. I felt like just talking to the air. But I said, Jesus... If you really are who you say you are, if all these things are true, if you are the son of God and the savior of the world, just show me. And I went to sleep expecting absolutely nothing. Like I knew that I might just like you know, in a different conversation with a deity something would 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 change in my heart or something would appear, but I just didn't know that he was like, "All right, bet. Now." Cuz the moment I closed my eyes, I had a dream. In the dream, I saw my friend, Marley. Marley is also like another genity to me. They both were so radiant for the Lord. Like I knew their unwavering faith, everybody at school would be a whole fool. Like acting up with Bible verses in their bio. And let me tell you. There is nothing appealing to a non-believer or somebody who does not know the Lord about that. Like, they can see right through it. Like, me and you can see this. What are you doing? But Marley and Junity both, they just held tight to their faith. They were so confident in the Lord, and they were not embarrassed to just be like, no, like, I don't want to do these things. They were so strong in their faith, and it was so admiring. But I saw in my dream... Me and my friend Marley, we are walking in a test room and I'm confident, I'm, I'm like hyping myself up and I'm bragging and I just remember in the dream she was silent but not like just like agreeing with me. We get to the test, I get my test and it was like gibberish. I could not understand anything and I could see this clock ticking and I know that the time is passing and it's going really fast. And I'm looking over, I'm like sweating, scared. Marley puts her hand on my test, and when she takes her hand off, magically I could see everything, and I was able to take the test, and everything was fine. We walk out of the test room, and I remember we are in her car, and her sister Ashley sitting in the front, and I say, Marley, what was that? Like, what did you do? That was crazy. I once wasn't able to take the test, but then I was able to take it, and I did fine. And she said, it wasn't me, it was Jesus. That morning was a very special Christmas because literally I had that dream November, I mean, December 24th, like during the night. So I woke up and it was Christmas Day. And I had my very first special and secret Christmas because I was living with a Muslim family and obviously Muslims do not celebrate Christmas. Um, So I went on. And for the next few months, I would show up to youth. And I just remember crying out to God that he would just cover me in the shadow of his wing. Because if my family found out that I converted to Christianity, they would have killed me. Like, not like, oh my gosh, my mom's going to kill me because I didn't take the chicken out of the freezer. Like, literally kill me. Because they believe if a person... Gives their identity and their life to another. Basically, it's like you're giving your keys, your house keys, to a thief. So you're a lost cause unless they shed your blood. Because they don't believe in the sacrifice of the blood of the lamb. It's always got to be on you. So I knew that I would die if they found out. But the Lord continued to shield me. And my faith was growing so fast. And I have just felt so Much peace. Now I'm not throwing up acid. Now I'm just getting filled with hope, filled with joy. I actually am looking forward to the future and I'm so excited for what God is doing in my life. And then March, so right now it's 2015, March of that year, my dad calls me. And if you ever get the call from your dad, your Middle Eastern dad, and he says, So there is a man. That just means you're getting arranged into a marriage. There's, like, nothing else that it could explain. So the moment he said that, I felt like my heart sunk because, again, like I said before, my dad literally stole my voice from me. This was not a suggestion. This wasn't like, think about it. Maybe he's a nice guy. This was like, I own you, and this is what's going to happen to you and i just remember the holy spirit and i'm talking like at the time i'm 17 the holy spirit ministering to my heart saying your father in heaven reigns your father in heaven reigns so as my dad is saying those words the holy spirit is louder in my ear do not worry your father in heaven has control over your life nobody else does your father in heaven so i'm not scared now and i'm just thinking okay dad so now it's march i'm about to graduate about to turn 18 and again my wheels are just spinning what am i gonna do i cannot marry a muslim person because god literally is establishing a new thing with me he is breaking generational curses he is ending death with me and i cannot Go back. I cannot let him do that. But I just knew that God would do something. Like it wouldn't just be me fighting against my dad and just saying, you know what? That's it. I'm done. I'm leaving. I continue to pray and pray and pray. I can't remember where in the Bible. There's a story that talks about when God told the people of Israel to wait to fasten their shoes. Jackson, where is that? I can't see you. Where is that in the Bible? Okay, well, just the people of Israel had to wait on God. Put on your shoes, wait on me to tighten them. Do not tighten them yet. Now, my dad, I graduated. This is June 16th of 2015. Driving back from Midland to Louisiana to pack our stuff and take us permanently to live with him. Here I am, shoes on. Jesus, I want to follow you. I do not want to go back. I don't want to go back. Please do something. And just like that, he says, It's your turn to do something. Okay. So now it's a step of faith. That exact night, I pack up a little pink purse, just with my favorite little things and the sentimental belongings I had and I brought from Jordan. I put them in that purse and I opened the door. Did not get to say goodbye to my mom or siblings, and I fleed for my life. This is where I land the plane for you. Was following Jesus easy? Was accepting the gospel easy? Absolutely not. But it is the one thing that gave me life it is the one thing that brought me right out of the grave it is the one thing that gave me purpose it is the one thing that renewed my mind it is the one thing that revealed the identity of the one true god are you kidding me i would go through any sort of adversity to follow jesus because i was once dead and now i'm alive in breathing there's nothing I wouldn't do, you know? And so I left home. My parents destroyed my documents. So not only do I not have financial support, not only I have been disowned permanently by my family, now I don't have any legal documents to prove who I am. Guess what? But God. Jesus literally showed up in big and small ways. And you know how I can prove that to be true? I'm standing here. I am alive and well a lot. Like, not just alive. He has broken every chain. He has replaced everything that's been taken away from me. He has given me spiritual mothers, spiritual fathers. He has poured out so much on me that now I can give left and right. So, as I close, I just want you to go ahead and stand up. And I want you to close your eyes and put your hands out in front of you in a posture and attitude of surrender. I just want us to take the next minute in our own words, minister to the heart of Jesus. Would you ask him, who is it that I can be genity to? Maybe it's not a foreign exchange student. Maybe it's somebody who you know. Every time you walk down the hallways at school, you know they're lonely. They sit by themselves. Maybe it's a parent. Or maybe it's a teacher. Or maybe it's somebody that you yet have not met. In Revelations, the scripture tells us that at the end of time, when it's all said and done, that the followers of Jesus won their victory by two things: the power of their testimony and the blood of the Lamb. And I just know there are people here tonight that God is wanting to write your testimony. And that he wants you to be part of somebody's testimony. Lord Jesus is ready to release you. He wants to equip you for your calling. I don't know if there are odds standing against you. Maybe you're that one kid that you have an abuser in your life and you're silent about it, and you're so scared, you show up every single Wednesday, you're hoping for a change. God, will you talk to me? He is right now. He is. God speaks to us so many times through people, and he's saying, I am your father. Your identity is in me, in me alone. Give it all to him right now. Give it all. You know, we have become so tangled up with so many things. We want to be accepted, we want to be popular, we want to be approved of, we want to make good grades, we want to do. There's so many things that we want to do and be. And some of those things are not bad. But your eternal investment, the one thing that matters at the end of the day when it's all said and done, did you obey the calling? Did you say yes to Jesus and not just when it was so awesome at church, but when you walked out every day, did you say yes to Jesus? Did you step out in faith and hug that person and say, hey, let's walk to class. Tell me what's your favorite color. Because sometimes that's all it takes, a genuine friendship to change somebody's life. And regardless, regardless of where you stand in your faith, if there's anything that resonated with you tonight, if there's anything that you want to change, maybe you do want to be more bold. Maybe you want God to reveal to you who that person is. Maybe you are struggling with people in your life. I don't know what it is. I cannot read your mind, but Holy Spirit does and knows you better than anyone. Would you please, would you please come down and let somebody pray for you? do not let this day pass i am here because jesus is using my tongue as a pin and he's speaking right to you father god we give you all that we are and all that we are is not much at all in compared to who you are you're awesome you're wonderful you're glorious you're infinite you're powerful you're majestic You're all and more, God. But we have a little bit. We have the breath in our lungs. And we want to devote our life to you, God. We want nothing less, Lord Jesus. All that you have for us, it doesn't matter what that looks like. We want to say yes to you. Holy Spirit, would you please Take off anything that's covering our eyes from seeing. Would you please open up our eyes and open up our hearts for you, God? We are ready, Father. We are ready to receive you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.